You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I am Michael Halcombe and I am here with my friend Jeremy Spencer. Jeremy, how's it? Hey, how's it? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm, I'm all right. Uh, glad to be recording another episode. Uh, Fred is out at the moment, but he'll be back at some point. Um, yeah, so in our previous discussion uh, for Proof Text, we talked about some of the work we were both doing with the Psalms. I kind of have been doing a poetic reworking, and you've been doing sort of a prayerful um, engagement, I guess you'd say. And I thought it'd be good maybe to talk some more about the Psalms, if you're good with that. Yeah, it sounds good. I love the Psalms. Well, maybe on this side of the episode, what we can do uh, is talk about a different sort of literary genres, so to speak, of the Psalms. Um, One of the things that happened in Old Testament studies in the wake of uh, some older scholars like Hermann Gunkel and Siegmund Mowinkel and uh, I guess these German kind scholars, um, they started to look at portions of the Old Testament in the 20th century from this perspective that's known as form criticism. And uh, when we say criticism, we're not just mean like they're criticizing things, right? We mean they're just uh, bringing a critical scholarly eye to look at. Analytical, maybe. Yeah, analytical. Um, And so form criticism was really interested in looking at, I guess, the the prehistories of each psalm and uh, discovering its Sitzemleben, its life setting, and then allowing that context of the life setting, its its use, to help determine its genre, right? And so the the psalms themselves were broken down individually, and for many many decades. Uh, that has been the approach to Psalms. And on this side of the break, like I said, I want to explore that. I think there is value to that. But then we're going to also use that to springboard into looking at the Psalms as a whole uh, on the other side of the break. So let's just talk about some of these. Let's start with uh, lament. And uh, this is a, a very specific, I guess, genre of Psalm, but um, you had mentioned to me that Psalm 88 is an example, perhaps, of lament. So talk to us about that. Uh, I'll flip over to Psalm 88 here, and we'll see what's going on. But what do you what do you uh, see going on there as far as lament goes? Um, well, it's probably the darkest psalm um, in, in the entire book. And... Um, most psalms have seem to have a pattern of either declaring something about God and then moving into lament, but then also declaring victory or hope in the end. Um, at the end of Psalm 88, <clears throat> excuse me, it actually it ends with the word darkness. Um, oh yeah, usually darkness. The translation, the translation isn't uh, it doesn't have it that way, but if my understanding is the last word in Hebrew is 
the the word for darkness, you'd be able to explain more about that. Yeah, machashik from darkness or uh, something along those lines, out of darkness. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't know if we should read it um, or just read sections of it. What do you think? Oh, we can. I, I'm really intrigued by the end uh, where he says, um, he says, Mayade Machashek. You kind of have something poetic going on there, but um, essentially, for I am known by darkness or from darkness or of darkness, uh, something to that effect. And in fact, you actually have the Varea Mayade Machashek. A friend. <laughs> That's really, really fascinating. Um, a fr- I'm known as a friend of darkness. Yeah. And, and the NIV translate that as, as darkness is my closest friend. Uh, the, the Hebrew is I'm known as a friend of darkness or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty evocative. <clears throat> Um, sort of the personification of darkness and to say that 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 is my only another translation would be companion my closest yeah i'm not sure which one i'm looking at here you have removed my beloved and my friend darkness is my closest companion Hmm. so there's almost uh he's bringing accusation um accusation to god and i'm kind of looking over and seeing what kind of language he's using but you know it's it's hard to tell depending on the translation but it looks like a lot of the time he's using, or they translate it as Lord, so Adonai, which I think is interesting um, because there's a mm. sense of him submitting to God as Lord, even while he's bringing his complaint um, to God. Yeah, that's, yeah, the Psalms are, uh, these, these laments are very, um, in a way, mysterious to me. I think, I think it's just sort of my hunch that in in Protestantism and evangelicalism in particular, the idea of speaking to God in a way that that betrays any any sense of accusation is just off limits. Mm, yeah, it's you know. Oh man, it's that's making me think so many different things. Uh, when I think about you know certain forms of, uh, I mean, I, I guess there's a tendency towards spiritual abuse and you know never questioning leadership, don't touch God's anointed ones. Right. You know that it might flow from some of those kinds of things um, when it comes to how we relate to God. He's either our best friend or he's you know <clears throat> he's too distant. he's too distant. Or too royal to, you know, mm. uh, ever combat Com- or yeah confront. to confront. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, you know, I don't know if you you're familiar like with the origins of the word lament itself, uh, but it's very it's kind of interesting to to ponder what what that word even means, right? So, are you familiar with that? Uh, you, I haven't actually looked up the etymology of that. How does that word break down? So my theory, one theory, and this is the theory I subscribe to. So, you know, we, we have these theological words like an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? And testament um, is essentially just a 
a testifying, a record of testimonies, right? Uh, well, a lament, the in Hebrew the word la, it's it's a way to say no, <laughs> no, and, and so a lament is just a a record of no, <laughs> like a like I can't believe this. Like uh, in the Psalm eighty eight talks a lot about uh, crying out. It's just this. Cr- it's a record of crying out, no, <laughs> like, uh, so it's kind of interesting to think about that record of no. Interesting. I was going to say, it sounded like it might have some French origin. Um, ah, so just in, in Hebrew, like with that the, law the there, word that they use, what's the Hebrew word? They, they have the word laments, right? Um, yeah. Or, or um, something like it. Yes. Yeah, so like a lamentation, right? Um, so, the one of the words that's often uh, used for lament. So I'm looking here at uh, kina. This is a word that can mean like a dirge or an elegy or something like that. I'm looking at Second Samuel one seventeen, um, and then let's see if I flip over to uh, Jeremiah where he's got on his sackcloth and he's lamenting. We get here uh, a different word, uh, the a verbal form, sifed, uh, which means to wail or to lament. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting. It seems to be uh, a variety of words, even that that term "cry," right? That we're finding in Psalm eighty-eight has its its own. Uh, it's a different word, you know. So it looks like there's a quite a bit of of words used to capture this idea of crying out or lamenting. Um, say it's very much um, seems to basically say this is a vocalization of of sadness. Yeah. Um, whether that's even with words or not. Um, right. Because wailing is isn't necessarily something that involves a complete sentence or even a word. It's just it's like the like you said, crying out. <clears throat> but I mean, we can cry out with words. But the, I mean, that's interesting too. Um, it, it makes me think about just the idea that most of the psalms were probably chanted in some fashion, like sung, and maybe especially uh, the laments were probably especially like sung. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have other um, other genres too, like psalms of thanksgiving uh any any examples of a psalm of thanksgiving that come to mind um, yeah i'm i'm uh i'm so bad with numbers but there's a psalm where it, it repeats <clears throat> and it just recalls um all of the activity of saving activity of god and with an outstretched arm your love endures forever um hmm. Um, yeah, what what song is that, or what psalm? Let's see. Let's pull see. It up. One of the most famous, right? Everybody yeah. knows. Uh, of course, that's a line throughout many of the psalms. Your, your love endures forever. Uh, but thirty-six. Yeah, that's it. Psalm one thirty-six, uh, and it keeps it keeps that refrain. Like every line is ending that way. Yeah. yeah. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. 
Give thanks to the God of gods, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love endures forever, and it keeps uh, going on that way. Interesting. Uh, it's in the Hebrew, well, in the interlinear translation, they actually say his mercy forever, his mercy endures. Yeah, the, the Hebrew word there being, the Hebrew word there being chesed, right? And there's a lot of debate over uh, what chesed means, but uh, my my own take is that that probably has to do with like something like covenantal loyalty. So where it says, yeah, his love endures forever, I, I guess I would tend to say more something like, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his covenantal loyalty endures forever. Um, something to that effect but covenantal has kind of a legal uh, yeah from even a familial and a relational aspect to it but certainly can covenant can have legal ramifications and, and i think i read somewhere that mercy had has that tendency towards some kind of legal covenantal aspect but it depends on what word is used maybe is that true of uh, do you say hesed hesed yeah ches, yeah hesed uh, it's got the little guttural chesed, uh, chet, right there at the start of the word chesed. Um, I, I think this one's a great example, too. I mean, uh, I, I've been guilty of beating up on modern praise songs for their repetition, but uh, this, this one reminds me that the Psalms itself uh, <laughs> maybe set precedent for some of that. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Um, and I mean, I think this is an Eastern uh, thing <clears throat> throughout the Middle East and towards towards the Far East. There is a lot of uh, like, I don't want to say primitive, but towards primitive chanting and singing involves a lot of repetition. Hmm. And they would go for a long time, go as far as places like India, where they have simple phrases. It's where you get the word mantra. Um, it's just you repeat a simple phrase, and there's there there's some uh, uh, Christians who worship in a more traditional Indian style that they have this music that often you know a song will go on for ten minutes, fifteen minutes, right. even upwards of a half an hour, um, especially like in the the Kuali tradition um, of Islam, like in Pakistan, they have these songs that will go for a half an hour, and because uh, it's about just moving yourself into the presence of Allah. And I think in the Middle East and probably the Jewish tradition is um, probably not too foreign from that kind of approach to mm. music and worship. Yeah. And certainly Psalm, uh, the Psalm demonstrates that repetition. Yeah. Well, we have uh, also um, imprecatory Psalms. I'm, I'm assuming you're familiar with the idea of uh, imprecation. Can you, Talk a little bit about that. What does it mean, an imprecatory psalm? That one uh, might be new to me, actually. So the imprecatory psalms are psalms that are comfortable, <laughs> I guess. is I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but psalms that that rain down curses. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 they invoke judgment. Um, and these are the ones especially where it's like, talking about their enemies, right? Uh, right? Dashing the baby's heads on the rocks and stuff like that. And to me, these, these sorts of Psalms, if people are 
very uncomfortable with lament and evangelicalism. They are extremely uncomfortable and won't even touch like uh, imprecatory psalms, like this idea of like in a, in a, a prayer to God, like cursing someone or something, which raises an interesting question. Fred and I have, have long debated this like for years. Um, can we pray imprecatory psalms as Christians? Can we pray imprecatory psalms? Well, I mean... <laughs> One of the one of the things that I'm thinking about is just um, the the humor, the the uh, almost the the comedy of the comedic value of of those who have a tendency to read scripture very literally, and how weird it must be for them to get to some of these psalms. You know, like I think Rich Mullen said in a concert once, it's like scripture is really good until you start getting to the psalms, and then and they start wigging <laughs> out and. It's like, what do you do when you get to that psalm where it says, blessed is he who dashes their little ones against the rocks? It's not the psalm that you would want to read at a pro-life meeting. And uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it depends on who you're praying to. I think it's there's might be a fine line between are you, are you praying this to God or are you actually praying, actively trying to pray cursings over God? over the uh the people and but then you know what's the nature of the curse too Hmm. Uh, well like psalm 109 like in in uh verse starting in verse six right presumably this is of david the psalm of david appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy let an accuser stand at his right hand when he has tried let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him may his days be few May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sin always remain before the Lord that he may blot out their name from the earth. I mean, that is serious stuff right there. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I've ever prayed a prayer like that. Um, there's there's always a shift. I'm, I'm trying to look at that too to see, you know, because he goes on to say, but you, oh God, the Lord, deal kindly with me for the sake of your name. So he goes from like, Lord, mess this person up, but Lord, be good to me. Um, yeah. I am poor and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I'm fading away like a lengthening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. Um, and yeah, he's just asking for help and declares like the goodness of God. And so you will thank the Lord profusely. I will praise him in the presence of many where he stands at the right hand of the needy one. Now, I mean, another aspect of the Psalms is to probably be sure to place it firmly. uh, I don't want to say in the old Testament because that can like pit the old versus the new, but within the grand narrative of scripture, in the grand narrative of scripture, there isn't a full understanding of of Christ, uh, the Christ that's to come. There's not a full understanding of the afterlife, I don't think, at this point. Um, 
So you're talking about progressive revelation, essentially. Like, Yeah, so, like, I mean, it, some of them, it sounds like they're not entirely sure that there is eternal life or an afterlife. Mm. Like, you know, David, another thing, in other Psalms, um, I believe it's David that says that I, you know, how how can I praise you in the grave? How can I proclaim your name if I'm dead? You yeah. know, there's, you know, and there's a sense of like, if this evil isn't cut off right now, then it's just going to continue through their children. And that's the way you would, you have to pull the weed out. And that's the, in his mind, that's the, maybe that's the, what has to be done. Um, mm. Cause uh, I think they've had a lot of examples of like, if you don't cut off evil, it's going to keep going through the children. Right. It's going to keep being mm. passed on. And so like, there's a lot of that Mesopotamic language of wiping out entire um, mm. people groups. Yeah. So I remember talking with Fred, we argued for hours about this uh, when we were going through the adoption process uh, and trying to get a couple of our kids from Ethiopia. There was this lady in Ethiopia who was swindling money and just being super corrupt and I was like praying for her to die, you know, like or some evil to happen to her so that we could get the kids. Right. Like and Fred, Fred was very uncomfortable with the thought that we could do that. At this point, I don't know that I agree with that kind of prayer anymore. But, um, you know, he was he was invoking Jesus will like pray for your enemies, like love your enemies kind of thing. And um yeah, I don't. So there's there's tension there for me uh, with the the imprecatory psalms. It's that's a hard one. But here, here's my here's my take. Um, if you're gonna pray an imprecatory psalm, there's there's like a rule for that. <laughs> and like in in modernity, if you're gonna pray that today, like essentially when you pray a prayer of curse or an imprecatory psalm, you you are doing two things at once. You are bringing it to God, and two, in bringing it to God, uh, pledging to Him that you will not act on it, right? And I think that's the rule that that if you're going to pray that psalm, you that kind of prayer rather, you have to leave it with God and are not allowed to act on it once you utter it. And that's my own take. But yeah, this yeah. is um, an act of surrender. Yep. Uh, yep. And the other thing I think they, I think the psalmist is using language for how he knew he, or he understood stopping violence and evil from happening. Um, and in, in your mind at, the, at that moment, it may have felt like death is the only way to stop this person. Like, yeah, like they need to be shut down. And yeah. I think that's part of mercy and justice is to say the evil that you're perpetuating, like I'm the buck stops here. And if that right. involves the death of a person, maybe someone gets really sick uh, and that's what brings them to repentance. They get cancer or, you know, how did all of these things happen? These, I mean, God's ways are so much higher than ours. I, I think sometimes there's a, in a sense of like, um, Maybe there's someone who's, um, uh, let's just say, like really irresponsible, uh, repeatedly drunk, and you're in the city and you see this person, 
and they are not paying attention and they just start walking straight towards the street that's busy, cars are passing by, and you run and violently tackle them. Um, there's a there's a mercy in what's happening because they probably would be hit and killed by a car, but there's a violence that stops the progressive movement of that mm. person towards certain yeah. death. And I think the severity of how far off the rails we go um, kind of uh, requires a certain amount of, um, and I don't like using the word violence, but there is a kind of violence to like a sudden stop, yeah. like a force, you know, yeah. a forcefulness to stopping the, the trajectory of evil. And even I, I think our former professor, Dr. Starr, he was quoting someone might've been Lewis, but he said, uh, the evil is, or hell kind of becomes God's last mercy. Cause mm. it's like, you can't spiral down any further than this. The right. evil in you is so progressive. Like it's, it's gonna, I'm, I'm putting a bottom to the, the floor. Um, for the, the right. fall of evil, it can't go past this point. Hmm. Well, there are other kinds of psalms too. We have royal psalms. Like if you were to look at uh, Psalm 2, that's probably the most famous example of a royal psalm, the, the enthronement of the king. Uh, you have psalms that uh, are psalms of remembrance. You have doxologies. So all kinds of uh, different... Psalms of I ascent. Guess, yeah, psalms of ascent. All kinds of different ways that we would classify these psalms individually. After listening, head on over to glossahouse.com. There you'll find all kinds of Bible, language, and theology resources. Glossahouse has a stock of audio, video, apps, digital, and print resources to meet your teaching and learning needs. Best of all, everything is innovative, accessible, and affordable. Glossahouse language resources for the global community. But I want to take some time to talk about something that may be newer, uh, a newer idea to some of you who are listening. Um, and this is the notion that the Psalms, while they are individual songs, aren't meant to merely be taken as such. In the same way that Genesis has 50 individual chapters. I mean, that's a modern thing, right? Breaking it up to modern uh, sort of chapter kind of things, um, chapters and verse numbers, etc. Uh, even though there's 50 chapters, it holds together as one narrative. And I would suggest that the same is happening for the Psalms. And much like the Pentateuch, you know, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, and the tradition of Moses, I think the Psalms are, are patterned after that. They are divided into five sections that hold together to tell one greater story. And even beyond that, when we look at the place of the Psalms, especially in the Protestant canon, where they are situated canonically, uh, they uh, they tell they tell the story they keep the story of the Old Testament going right so the Psalms coming in the wake of like first second Samuel first second King first second Chronicles and then Ezra Nehemiah Esther Job Psalms uh, this continues it's a continuation of that story 
And particularly at this point in the story, uh, we're dealing with King David. Um, so I don't know, Jeremy, how much or how little, you know, you're, you are familiar with this idea of the, the Psalms as one big narrative. Uh, but any, any thoughts on that? I'm going to break some of that down here in a minute, but yeah, any, any thoughts on that before we, we jump into that? I want to say it, it, it feels like a new idea, but at the same time, immediately kind of makes sense. And I, I, I would say probably it's more like a, in a, I don't know, like a, like an intuitive making sense. Uh, if you were to ask me to break down how I, I wouldn't be able to, to probably, you know, go through it, through it and, and show every nuance of it. But, um, I mean, even within individual Psalms, there's, there's narrative and history, you know, retelling and, and whatnot. But, uh, over the, the course of the, the whole of the Psalms, it makes sense. And I think the last Psalm like feels like, like a punctuation mark. Um, yeah. So when I think of the, the Psalms, like I, like I said, I think of them in terms of five, five acts or five books, whatever word you want to describe the five. Um, this is a guy named Nick Novak who has talked about this. He does a good job uh, on his, he's, I think he's got a, an older blog, but he talks some about this and other books have been published on this as well. Um, but essentially book one is, is essentially uh, Psalms one to 41. Now, whether you take Psalm one and two as sort of a preface, I think they can function that way. Um, they're, they're still, grafted in as it were to to book one or act one of the psalms and what the first 41 psalms are mainly concerned with is the enthronement of david and in the wake of or in the light of that the persecution of david by his enemies this this if you read the first 41 psalms there's so much redundancy it kind of like as i've rewritten them I mean, it becomes somewhat of a, a real strain to try to rewrite them without just sounding redundant, right? Uh, David is constantly talking about his enemies and their pursuits of him, their desires to for harm to befall him. Uh, yeah, so the, the first 41 chapters are largely dealing with that. And then uh, we get this... Uh, we get this sort of break, uh, and at Psalm 42, we're going to get a little bit of a shift, right? Um, you, you, by the way, you can read about the life of David in, in 1 Samuel and, and following, right? So um, a lot going on uh, in, in 1 and 2 Samuel to tell the, to tell the story of David in a more narrative form. So let me, let me pause and say this. Um, I think if I had to classify the Psalms to fit with like a, a sort of one big genre, like I would like say they're more like a musical than anything. Mm. Uh, that that's my own thinking on that. Like 
you think of Hamilton or Jesus Christ Superstar or any any musicals, right? They are this one big narrative, but they're telling the story through a bunch of songs. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of how I'm I'm thinking of uh, the Psalms when I read them, much like a uh, yeah, much like a musical, right? So if you if you look at the end of Psalm 41, um, you often get sort of an amen uh, at the the end of these things. But um, Psalm 42 then is going to begin Act Two or Book Two, whatever you want to call it, and that's going to go up through Psalm 72. Act Two is concerned with you know David's on the throne and he's reigning. But it's also uh, looking ahead toward David's successor. Who's going to be the successor? And th- this is where Solomon uh, begins to come in view, into view. Uh, and uh, let me look here. Uh, at the end of Psalm 72, you get, so 72.20, you get this. Uh, in in 72.19, you get the double amen, amen, amen. And you get in the very last verse, this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. So that's kind of an interesting remark that we get there. Act three ends with that, or act two ends with that. And then act three begins with Psalm 73. And this is going to go up to Psalm 89. And what it's going to tell us about is um, the failure of David and especially David's people, David's line, his kingdom, right? So we have David sort of transitioning out at this point, and uh, you have uh, his lineage, his royal line, failing just again and again, failing miserably, and the tail end of that uh, leads into exile, and again, if you go to the end of Psalm 89, you get praise be to the Lord forever. Amen, amen. So you get that double amen there um, again. So we're seeing a pattern and uh, the amen, the amen in Hebrew uh, kind of gives us maybe some clue that this is where there's a break in the narrative, like end of Act 3. So all those reading and listening, pick up on that. So let's just recap where we're at so far. Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. Act 1, David's rise to the throne. He's put on the throne. And as he's on the throne, there's a great emphasis on persecution from his enemies. Psalm 42 begins Act 2. David is, is still on the throne. And as he's carrying out his reign, the further we get into that, we begin looking to the succession of Solomon, his son. And... As Psalm 73 begins, Act 3, David is essentially, his prayers have ended, he's off the throne, and you have the tragic failure that continues to come into play from David's lineage. And by the end of this, we're working toward exile, which opens Act 4. And now we're waiting uh, for a king, but in Act 4, with no one on the throne now, the attention turns to the Lord himself, who is the king. And so Act 4, beginning with Psalm 90 and going through 106, 
is all about the Lord is, is the king. He is the monarch. He's the one on the throne. Um, and then Act 5, starting with Psalm 107 and going all the way up through 149, 150. Um, 150 could sort of be like an epilogue or something. But if you go to Psalm 150, this is then talking about the anticipated um, return of a king to the throne. And that really sets the stage in a way for what's going to come in the prophets um, and ultimately the New Testament. Right. So these psalms hang together, these individual songs hang, hang together in five acts or five units. They tell sort of sub-stories, but when you zoom out and you look at them from like a bird's eye view, they really end up telling one story that David's put on the throne, he succeeded, his successors and his people fail, they go into exile, there's no king on the throne, reminded now that the Lord is the king, uh, and now we're awaiting uh, the return of that king. So, yeah, I don't know, I've talked a lot. Um, what are your, I guess, initial thoughts, reactions to some you of that, Jeremy? Uh, some of the um, the first psalm or two psalms could almost be, instead of considered a part of Act One, um, like a prologue. Yeah, an introduction. So that makes me wonder. I've got Psalm One Fifty pulled up, and it, it, if there is, you know, it, it could almost have an element of like an epilogue. Yes. And yep. I mean, in fairy tales, the epilogue is usually something like they lived happily ever after. Right. <clears throat> so this, uh, this one, there's a sense of like, this is what we're moving towards is it's a lot about praising. And uh, Lewis talks about this in his reflection on Psalms that praise basically isn't, a sign of God being a narcissist, like this command to praise it's <laughs> right. praise ultimately becomes the consummation of the enjoyment of a thing. When you enjoy a thing to its fullness, nothing but praise can come out of you. Like mm. it's just automatic, whether that's a song or a sunset, when it just consumes you and you're, uh, and you're consuming it and being consumed by beauty or goodness or whatever, yep. praise just pours out of us. So it seems like <clears throat> the end of it could be an epilogue. It's saying like, this is where everything goes. It, it yeah. entering into the fullness of the joy um, of God. Yeah. And really that could pick up, you could almost make the case that Psalm 146 to 150 functions as an epilogue of praise. Yeah. I mean, the all those, those last five Psalms, like that's what they are. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Like that's the whole thing. Like yeah. constant. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That that that's that's where it sort of builds up to and and heads as we're awaiting the return of this king. What do we have to say but praise? You know? Yeah, just entering, you know, it's God's invitation to say, Come enter into my joy. To say praise God is 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 God is God's invitation to join the dance of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I like that. Um yeah, I think I think the this way of approaching the Psalms 
really does justice to them. And again, I think like the idea of a musical is super helpful for understanding how the songs, songs and psalms sort of just hang together, right? right. They're, they're, they're working in, in harmony to produce this like symphonic uh, masterpiece, uh, this musical masterpiece. And it would be really cool to, to maybe see someone try to create a, a musical out of this. Um, musical or oratorio would be my, might be another word. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's more of a classical approach. Right. Oratorios were basically operas, but because mm-hmm. they were dealing with sacred texts, they wouldn't do costumes. They wouldn't do a bunch of movement. They would just sing through and speak the lines in a performance that way uh, out of reverence for the text. Do you have any, yeah. uh, um, you might be able to speak to this, how much we can know about what music would have looked like and how maybe the Psalms would have been performed. Um, would it be like a, a lead singer, uh, <laughs> responsive, a chorus of people, the whole congregation chanting it or, um, yeah, what? that's good. I, I think it's, I think it's a mix yeah, I think there's. I think there are times where the audience, like yeah, a call and response, is expected. Like on, when we looked at, you know, that uh, his love or his chesed endures forever. You know, like it almost in that one, it seems to me like you have a leader saying something, and then at the end, you have you have this call and response. The leader's calling, the people response. His chesed endures forever. Leader says what he says. His chesed endures forever. So I think, I think it's a great mixture of all of that. There are times when the audience is is invoked directly to participate, whereas at other times they're called to be more passive and just observe and listen. Right. I, I mean, another aspect of this too. Now I think about it. Uh, obviously, we have uh, sort of the liturgical year, the church calendar, which moves us through the story of Christ, um, and there is kind of a. Uh, the, the regular reading uh, each week, and most churches follow it. And you mentioned that the Old Testament, they had something that they did, um, uh, that they would do certain readings throughout the year. So I imagine the Psalms had their own um, kind of pattern of uh, going through the story of God throughout, the, throughout their own uh, liturgical year. Yeah, a sort of Jewish lectionary. He's, for those of you listening, he's referencing something I said in a sermon, uh, I think a couple months back. Yeah. And yeah, so there, if that happened, then I imagine the Psalms may have had a pattern where during certain times of the year, they would especially be reading certain Psalms. And of course, certain traditions in uh, Judaism involved. Uh, Basically, like now is the time we're going to talk about um, our our exile right. um, from slavery. Right. We're gonna do, we're gonna walk through that narrative. We're gonna reenact it, um, which is you know the musical or the oratorio metaphor works really well with. I, well, just Judaism in general is very theatrical in that regard. Mm. It was very much like we're reliving, we're retelling, right. and kind of reliving. The story sort of re-embodiment so i imagine yeah embodying the story and uh we talked about 
did we talk about this uh, with the last episode? The idea of like breathing in mm. and then exhaling the, the words of the Psalms mm. and how it's like takes on your biology. So there's this kind of incarnational aspect to uh, the way I think the Jews responded to uh, the text by reliving it, acting it out. And um, do, are you aware of, of a pattern, uh, sort of a lectionary or maybe like a liturgical pattern in which the Psalms were walked through on a grand scale throughout the year? Obviously, in uh, the monastic tradition, they would do this every month. They go through the entire Psalms. Yeah, I, d- I don't month. know. Um... I don't know anything like with regard to what Psalms would have been said exactly when, but certainly uh, already in the New Testament, you have them celebrating Passover and there are certain prayers and Psalms that have been been historically associated with that. So with the season changes, there there certainly would have been uh, different liturgical elements that would have cycled well we're gonna probably wrap up here um thanks for you know chatting with me on the the psalms here it's been pretty fun yeah um a lot of fun i love the psalms yeah i think they're 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 very enigmatic in a way though i think honestly a lot of people avoid them because they don't read like a story or maybe not even avoid them. They just cherry pick, you know, like there's a pretty verse here and there, or even a part of a verse that really sounds pretty. Let me, let me paint that on my wall or something like that. You know, um, just sort of the, the, the exegetical cherry picking, uh, when it comes to, when it comes to the Psalms, I think this is a much healthier way to, to think about them and when you read them in this light i think you can have a grander appreciation well one of the things we like to do on the episodes here is end with a parting shot and uh it's kind (laughs) of it's a little bit abrupt here um but this is from uh denzel washington of all people wow what a turn to go from the psalms to denzel uh he says You'll never be criticized by someone who's doing more than you. You'll always be criticized by someone doing less. Remember that. So there's some there's some wisdom. Deep thoughts. Yeah, there, we need to get Jack Handy uh, going here. Deep thoughts with Jack Handy for <laughs> for some parting shots. But oh, deep Jack Handy. Yeah classic ending with some wisdom from denzel and a shout out to old jack there again thanks jeremy uh thanks you guys for listening uh please feel free to reach out to us send us your notes um thanks to anthony parrot for uh coming on board and helping us edit these uh podcasts we're pretty we're very appreciative of that so until next time aloha. aloha